Let me ask this question before we get going, um, just to get, get your brain moving, get your brain thinking a little bit, get the blood flowing up there. <clears throat> Hebrews is, is a letter that basically is trying to persuade these Jewish believers, don't drift away from Christ. Don't move away from Christ. And I had this thought this week, I had this question going on. If the Jewish people had never had the law of Moses, if they'd had the prophecies, if they had all the foreshadowings of Christ, if they had all these things that were saying, yes, a Messiah is coming, yes, a Messiah is coming, but had no law, really, would they have been better off when Christ had come? Would they have received him better if they had had no law? Because what did the law do for the Jewish people? What, what was the law to them? Because, I mean, we look at the text, we look at the New Testament, is the law in the New Testament a good thing or a bad thing? Talk to me. Not a rhetorical. Well, Jesus said he came to the law. Sure he did. To replace it. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a good thing. Right? Was it practiced as a good thing at the time of Christ? It, in, in quality, yes, it was a very good thing. Paul even says it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. But there's always a but in that sentence, isn't there? What was the, what was the, how was it being treated in the first century? How was the law treated? Go ahead, Blend. They worshiped the law. Yeah. More than they worshiped God. Okay. They thought they were worshiping God. We're practicing the law, but they were actually so involved in all the details and what to do that they lost the big picture. Yeah. I mean, what do the Pharisees, I mean, the Pharisees are the, these are the law followers. The, and and you've got to remember, you know, about 600, 605 BC, God says, you're out of here. I'm done with this. You've been breaking my law over and over and over again. You're done. You're out of here. They eventually come back 70 years later, as God prophesied. And the Pharisees start at this time as the people who go, we ain't getting kicked out again. So you're going to behave and you're going to follow the law and you're going to follow the law and you're going to follow the law. Well, Christ, the Messiah comes on the scene and what do they do? What do these same Pharisees do when the Messiah shows up? What do they do to the Messiah? They kill him. Why? Because he's not doing what? Following the law. And the law and the law. So these Jewish believers, remember we're about 30 years after Christ when Hebrews is written. So these Jewish believers, grown up with the law, ingrained in the law, what they know is the law, and that's one of their comfort spots. They start to get this Messiah guy that their Jewish religious law-following leaders told them they should kill. And all of a sudden, they follow him, and it gets tough. Because being a Christian in the first century was tough, unlike now, right? Because now it's easy. Relatively, let's be honest. I mean, you're about first world problems, first world problems. Yeah, 21st century Christian problems, all right? They made fun of me at school. Hello, first century problems. They were killing you. All right? So there's a difference. So here's my thought. It, would they have been better off if God had never given them the law? That's something that gave them that false sense of righteousness. And they said, I can't wait for the Christ, the atoning sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb that, that we've been doing this every year, this Yom Kippur, this day of atonement. We keep killing this lamb and killing this goat and killing this bull and it gives us a little bit of hope for something out there. If they had never had the law, 
and just had this idea of Christ, the Messiah, coming, would they have received him differently? And what are those things in your life that give you a false sense of righteousness? Because these people, these, the people in the audience of this letter were going, you know what, if I just slide back into the law, you know what, I'll be righteous then. Because this Christ thing is hard. And I'll, I'll just do the law. What are those things in our own lives, in our own 21st century world, that we go, well, I'll just do this instead of worshiping Christ? What about those good works? What about walking into buildings? What about reading books? What do we do with the Messiah? That's what you've got to constantly think about when you read the letter to the Hebrews. Because their struggle was, do I fall away from Christ? Do I drift away from Christ? We'll touch on this word today. Let's read a little bit. I'm going to start from Hebrews 1 uh, and kind of chase this down and then catch us up on, in, in chapter 2. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, here's the argument in Hebrews. There was something in place. God did something. And then he does a new something. And new is always better. All right? Because if it wasn't better, why do it? If the prophets were good enough, why speak through the son? So whatever's new, whatever comes later, is always better. It's always an improvement. All right? We'll see this with all sorts of things throughout the letter. So he spoke through the prophets. That was good, but they die. They die. Now he's going to speak through the son. Look how he describes the son. God has appointed him heir of all things. That's future, all right? That's at the end of all things. And made the universe through him. That's the beginning of all things. Do you see that? He made the universe through him, and he will be the heir of all things. So what do we get? We get the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. <clears throat> Uh, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature. Unlike the prophets, right? Were the prophets the radiance of God? This, I mean, hell, we get rain every day, something about this month. I don't know what's going on. It's something crazy. You, you grass people love this stuff, don't you? We get grass every day. Or we get rain every day. It makes the grass grow. But we get these beautiful clouds and the sun. What does it do when it goes through the clouds or goes around the clouds? You see this beautiful radiance. You see these sunbeams, the radiance of the sun coming through. And that's a picture of what Christ was. Christ is that there's the sun and this beam of light coming down from it. That's who Christ was. That's not who the prophets were, right? Some of these guys were messed up. Um, Jonah, hello? Was he the radiance of God's glory? No. People name their kids Jonah. I'm like, really? Have you read the story? He's not a good guy, all right? And so maybe you know that kid named Jonah. You go, well, you, you named him properly, all right? <laughs> so this is the idea of these prophets were not the radiant. They weren't the exact expression of God. Literally the stamp that you make over and over, the same image, the stamp, this perfect image. That's not who the prophet. So the second or the next or the latest is the better, okay? Keep going with the text. Um, he's sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, in so doing, he became higher in rank than the angels. Just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. All right? So we've said he's better than the prophets because he comes after, because he's a radiance of God's glory, because he's exact expression. He's sustaining the world 
Orion, the Big Dipper, the Pleiades are all being sustained by the word of Christ, the rhema, literally the spoken word of God, not just the idea of the word, but the spoken word of God, that Christ right now is speaking everything into exact order. And he made purifications for sin. Where did he do that? At Calvary. The author's reminding them, this is the full source. This is the key climactic moment of history. And so he's saying he became higher in rank than the angels. Now we got a whole nother crew in there. What did, the, what did the Jewish people think of the angels? The angel was the one in the burning bush. The angels are the ones saving Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels are the one who gave them the law. They're these ministering agents. And, and did they think highly of the angels? Yeah, I mean, these are God's servants and they're coming down. And so he goes, not only were they better than the prophets, but they're better than, he's better than the angels. And he gives us several reasons why. Look at these. For to which of the angels, all right, what am I in verse five? Yep. <clears throat> Sorry, I can't read those little things because I'm old now. All right. <laughs> I may get reading glasses because Karch Karai has reading glasses. If you don't know who Karch Karai is, he's the head coach of the women's, U.S. women's team, but he was like a three-time Olympian. He was my absolute hero, idol, worshiped the guy growing up, volleyball hero, and he was wearing reading glasses at a game. So Ashley called me and goes, you won't believe it, Karch has reading glasses. So I may get reading glasses now. Now that Karch has them, I'll have to do them. All right, so... For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. All right, you see that dynamic? Again, I'm repeating his question. Michael doesn't get that. Gabriel doesn't get that. All right, they're servants, they're messengers, they're warriors as well. But they're not the son. Jesus is the son. So the angels are awesome. The angels are great, don't get me wrong. But Jesus is better. That's the whole argument of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Don't drift away from him. Don't roll back to prophets. Don't roll back to angels. Stay with Jesus. He's better. Verse 6, this is the one I like. When he again brings his firstborn into the world. Again. That, that word's important. Again. All right? Again. Because he brought him into the world once, right? And he's going to bring him into the world again. It's the Greek word, palin. You like Sarah Palin? You'll like this word. It's again. It's the Greek word, palin. He's going to bring him back into the world again. Has he brought him back into the world again yet? Good question for you. No. He's still coming back. That's the message to the Hebrews. When he brings him back into the world again, first one in the world, he says, all God's angels must worship him. All right? The angels are going, not going to be worshiping each other when Jesus comes back again, when the Son comes back again. The Son is not going to be going, yay to the angels. No, no, no. The angels will worship the Son when he comes back. And the angels will be the ones accompanying him. If you've ever thought, I can't wait to ride back on the white horse with Jesus when he comes back, that's not you. You're not powerful. You're not mighty. Most of you would fall off a horse if you ever did get to ride him back. All right? Thank you, Miss Kareen. I see that hand. All right? So the idea, Jesus even said it. When the Son of Man comes and all his powerful, mighty angels with him, he will sit on his throne and judge the nations. It doesn't say when the Son of Man comes and all his nasty, unrighteous, horrible people that he saved come with him, the angels will come. So they're important, but they're not better. That's the point. They're not better. Keep going. He makes his angels winds or spirits. 
and his servants a fiery flame. That's who the angels are. They're the servants. But to the son, your throne, watch the, watch the language he uses. Your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated losses. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy rather than your companions. Again, we get from the Psalms. What, what language do we see here? Look at the words in here. Throne, scepter, kingdom, scepter, anointed. Who, who gets talked about that way? Royalty. Royalty. Kings. You're going to be a king. Dude, does he speak that way to the angels? Does he speak that way to the prophets? Any of the prophets ever go, hey, you're going to be forever and ever? No. What happened to most of the prophets? Most of them were killed. Jesus talks about this. All right? If they treat you the way they treated the prophets, you're blessed. Keep going. And, uh, verse 10, and in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens of, and the, are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. So we have in the beginning, you create all this, and you will remain. Keep going. He keeps going with this thought. They, all these things, will wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like a robe. But you are the same, and your years will never end. What do we get? This picture of the beginning, the creation, and the one who will remain, never end. So we have this king who will never end. Watch the language on this. He's coming back again. He's going to be this king. He's going to rule over all these things, and his reign will never end. Even if the earth is destroyed, the sky is rolled up like a cloak or like a scroll, maybe, maybe from Revelation, all right? But he will remain forever, and this is the point he's driving at right now. He's going to be the king. The king is coming. What happens if you drift away from the one who is the king who is to come? What is your hope? <clears throat> Now, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Well, what happens next then? If there's an until in the sentence, sit at my right hand until. Until what? Until your enemies are made a footstool. And then what's he supposed to do? Come on back. So God says to Jesus, sit down until. Now, when those enemies are made as footstool, what's God going to say? Go get them. Go bring them. Go rule over this forever and ever and ever, a reign that will never end. You see what this story is. The king is coming, and he is going to reign forever and ever. All right? So he says at the end there, the last verse, we'll read it all. Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? That's what some of the angels' role is. We must therefore, all right, why? Why therefore? Because he's the king, he's coming back, he's going to reign forever and ever. So he says, therefore, we must pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Huge verse right here in Hebrews. Pay more attention so we will not drift away. Now, this is the Greek word. I'm going to write it up here so you can see. Para, which means we get our uh, parameter, all right? It means beside or alongside, all right? And we get the word reo, all right? Reo means to float or to flow, all right? We talk about blood flow, all right? The blood that flows is this word. So you have this idea of flowing. So, 
I don't know, I think this guy knew something about nautical terms and knew something about water because he uses the term, he's an anchor behind the scroll, behind the, the veil. And he uses a lot of nautical terms in here. So this means literally to beside and flow. The boys and I went to um, went, went kayaking um, a couple weeks ago, right before they started school. And, and we were coming up on it, and I could hear a waterfall in front of it. I could hear the water rushing really strong. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing all this, and, and, I, and I'm looking at it, and, but I can't see where the river continues. I just see it kind of stopping. But I can hear the water loud, like a waterfall. And I said, boys, don't hang back here just a second. The water's not running real fast. And so I kind of paddle up to it, and I see that there's nothing beyond this little point. And I thought, you know what? If I just kind of flowed right beside that, I would quickly go down into that. If I drifted by, there's a little cutout. So we've got this this river here, right? And there's this death fall over this. No signs, no nothing. All right, this is on the Etowah River. There's like a whole chemical plant, factory plant, one of those old mining things probably. Right? So, so we're in our little boats, all right? And we're floating by here. And I hold them back here, and I go up here, all right? Now there's a place where you can get out and safely walk your boat, and then you can keep going. Thank you. Got that fancy term. All right? So if I just drift right by this, what happens? I go over. All right? And I'm like, it's about a 10-foot drop. I was like, hello, somebody put up a sign. All right? I don't know if, if you can go over that thing that fast. But that's the idea. We've got to pay even more attention so that we do not drift away or drift right beside it. All right? It's, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to go right on by Christ and go, let's get back to that law thing. Let's just worship what the angels gave us. Let's just worship what the prophet said and be really good people and be just and love mercy and do good and all these things that the prophet told us. Let's just, let's just drift by what Christ said and what he spoke about, about his blood. Let's just be, be those nice people like the prophets wanted us to be. He says, we've got to pay even more attention so that we don't drift away or drift by. Keep going, verse 2. For if the message spoken through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. Now, he's talking about the law right there. If the message spoken through the angels was legally binding. So what was the message spoken through the angels? The picture is... Moses received this message from the angels. So if the law was legally binding, and if the law had a just punishment attached to us, if you broke it, if Jesus is better than the law, then here's the question. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And this word neglect, I'll give it to you. It's A, the prefix A, and the word mellow. Right? It literally means to not have care or concern. I'm just not interested. So when it says, it doesn't say, how will we escape if we totally abandon, if we 
rebel against the great message. No, no, no. It's not saying that at all. It's saying if you just drift by it, if you go, you know what, I'm just really not that concerned about that. If, if it's somebody like, like Holland in high school, she walks past people every day, all right? And maybe they're not as cool as Holland is. Nobody is. Nobody is, all right? And so Holland walks past these people and they don't even register. She doesn't care about them. And I'm talking Disney movie here because y'all have seen that, right? Because the, the cool kids walk right by the kids and they don't even notice that they're there. It's not this animosity thing. It's just, just really not that interesting. So he's asking the question, how will you escape if you drift right by it without noticing it? If you drift right by and go, oh, I'm just not that interested. How are you going to escape if you neglect such a grace? Escape what? Look at the context. If the message spoken by the angels was legally binding and every transgression met a just punishment, how are you going to escape ignoring the message of Christ and the just punishment that will result if you ignore Christ and you don't follow Christ? Follow the law all you want, guys, but Jesus is better. The gospel is better. And if you ignore the gospel, you will have that reward. You will have that just punishment. Literally, it's, it's a, a earning, something that you have earned. And that's what he's pleading with. And I love this about the, the letter to the Hebrews. The author absolutely loves the audience. He loves them. That's why he pleads with them. That's why he begs them. Therefore, we must pay more, even more attention to this message because you can't drift away. If I told my kids, I said, hey, why don't y'all go ahead and I'm going to hang back and see, if, see if, there's a, if there's a waterfall up there. What would I be saying to my, my boys? I don't care about them. They're there to serve me. But I said what? I said, hang back here because I want to check it out. I want to make sure we don't drift by the important thing and we receive the just reward of our ignorance. All right? So I told them to hang back. Why? Because I love them. The author loves the audience. When you read the letter to the Hebrews, know how much he loves them. All right? Keep going with this thing. So how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord, Jesus. Anytime the author used the word Lord, he's talking about Jesus. He's not talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. That's the way they did that in the first century. Okay? Wouldn't it be cool if we did? If Jesus was our Lord, our kurios, our master, if he, and basically it's slave language. So when a master says something, what does a slave, the doulos, do? Whatever the master told him, right? If you want to know what kind of relationship you have with Christ, he's the kurios, the master. You're the doulos, the slave. He says it, you do it, everybody's happy. If you can get that one right, you'll be all right. It was spoken by the Lord, confirmed to us by those who heard him. All right, confirmed, <laughs> respoken. Jesus told us this. In, in Acts 2.42, it says, and the, and the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What did the apostles teach? Jesus. What they just heard from Jesus. They didn't go into, like I said last week, they didn't go a three-part series on budgeting your money. They said, Jesus said this when we were in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus said this when we were at the wedding in Cana. Jesus told us this when we were on, on the Mount Olives. Jesus told us this here, and we're telling you 
Jesus told us this, we're telling you, confirm to us. And then watch this, at the same time, verse four, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Hello, read Acts. God's saying, he told you, I'm gonna help prove it. I'm gonna show you by all these miracles and wonders that it was a valid message from me. So it was spoken by the Lord, confirmed by the apostles, and God testifying it day after day after day by healing people and doing all these things. Now, let's move from here. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But one has somewhere testified, this is what we read in Psalm 8, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering in death. Okay, that's where we're gonna camp out today. And I want us to get this idea of he has not subjected to angels the world to come. Okay, now here's our word subjected. All right, I'm gonna raise these so I can write high because I know some of y'all are not able to see all the way at the top. The word subjected is the word hupo, Tasso. Alright, hupo is the word under. A hypodermic needle goes where? Under, hypo, hupo, dermic, skin. Alright, everybody with me? Alright, look, you're, you're going to speak Greek by the end of the day. Alright, hupo means under. Tasso is sort of an order or an arrangement. Alright, uh, anybody have a boss in here? All right, you have a boss? You, good answer, good answer, all right? We have an arrangement here. What's the arrangement between Caden and I? What's the arrangement? I'm the, this is a simple one, all right? It's me and Caden, what's the relationship? Father, son, all right? That's an arrangement, right? God says what? You will, children, children, you obey your parent, all right? That one too, you gotta obey her too, all right? So there's an arrangement here, all right? I hired Danny Rudlick, all right? You know, Sarah and little Ellie, all right? Danny is now my employee. I am the manager. He is my assistant manager, all right? So if Danny says, I don't want to listen to what Bubba has to say anymore, that's going to be a problem, right? All right? Because Danny is under me, under this arrangement, all right? Some people don't like it, but Paul says, wives, what? Submit to your husband's arrangement. Husband and wife is an arrangement. All right? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Now, in there it says, and husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Which I always ask, which one has a tougher job? Christ died for the church. All you guys have to do is settle under the arrangement. Our call is to die 
All right? So husbands, don't forget that. Write that down somewhere, Jeffrey. You're going to need that someday. All right? So here's the thing. He is not subjected to angels the world to come. Which means this. He has subjected Christ. Christ is the one who will be above and beyond. He will be the one that everyone falls under his order. He is the king who is coming. So Christ is going to be this character. The angels, they will be his servants. He's not subjected to angels. The angels are not going to rule the world to come. Christ is. And he paints this picture from Psalm 8 that we read earlier. What is man that you remember him? We talked about that. Man, simply meaning this, an adult, the son of man, a child. All right. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him man, humanity, lower than the angels. Is that what your text says in verse 7? A little? <laughs> he made him a little lower? Okay, I can work with that. All right, real simple word. It means to be inferior or younger. Remember in this culture, to be younger is to be inferior, correct? All right, that's why he tells Timothy all the time. What does he tell Timothy all the time? Timothy what? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're younger. Don't let people think you're inferior because of your age. <laughs> Timothy was about 35, 40 years old when he's telling him this, by the way. All right? He wasn't like Caden's age. He wasn't 13, all right? A little kid preaching the gospel. Get saved. No. He was 35, 40 years old. And Paul was saying, don't let people look down on you because you're just 35 or 40 years old. Because the thought was, the older you are, the more superior you are. Remember when Jesus is at the wedding in, in Canaan and he turns the water to wine and the servant comes and he says, you've done what? You've saved the best for the last. And you served the inferior early. The same word here. To be made a little lower. It's to be made a little inferior. Um, we've seen the Olympics. Y'all, anybody watch the Olympics? I mean, Miss Kareem's been watching because she's been cheering for you, do Usain and give him a little bowl every now and then. All right? Bless his heart. Anybody watch the Filipino divers? Anybody see the video of this? Was it? I thought it was in the Olympics. It, whatever, whatever was online. Okay. One, one thing I've noticed is God has made me a little inferior to the volleyball players because I, I just, you, you have no idea the love I have for volleyball and for beach volleyball. I, a lot of you know I love baseball. I can coach baseball. Love baseball. Love to play baseball. Love to watch baseball. You give me a choice between baseball and beach volleyball or volleyball, it's not even a competition. I'm in the gym. Give me the ball. Let's play. All right? And I'm watching these guys, and they're, they're 6'10", 6'11", jumping 40 inches, all right, swinging, pounding the ball at about 100, 120 miles an hour at people. And I'm going, yeah, God made, made me a little inferior to that. Okay, and I can own that, and that's okay, all right? Being 5'10 and a half instead of 6'10, all right, with about a 20-inch vertical as opposed to a 40-inch vertical, I'm not hitting the ball 100 miles an hour, but you know what? So he made me a little lower in that. That Filipino diver, compared to these Chinese divers that are just perfect every single time, hello, what's about Chinese people that can do that thing, all right? Usain Bolt running the, the 100 in 9.6 something, all right? My coach used to say, boy, we're going to time you with a calendar, all right? So, yeah, God made me a little different than them in certain ways, okay? 
And he says this, humanity was made a little lower than the angels. And what the author is going to do, he's going to go, look at what Christ was when he was on earth. He was made a little lower than the angels. He was human. He had flesh and blood. Right? He didn't poof in and poof out and do miraculous things, uh, all the crazy things that angels are able to do. He was made a little lower. Check. We got that one. What's next? He was made a little lower than the angels for a short time. Again, that's an addition in the Septuagint that kind of got thrown in there. It's not in the original Hebrew. Just an interesting thing. You crowned him with glory and honor. When was Christ crowned with glory and honor? When he was resurrected. When he was resurrected, he was crowned with glory and honor. So number one, was he made a little lower than the angels? Yes. Number two, was he crowned with glory and honor? Yes, at the ascension, the resurrection. That's when he's crowned with glory and honor. And subjected everything under his feet. Is Christ now ruling and reigning over all the earth and everyone submits to his every whim? No. So what's the author saying? He was made lower for a short time. He was crowned with glory and honor. He will be made king over all things. All things will be subjected under the arrangement of Christ. Christ will reign and rule over all these things. And that's why he says it what here. Um, for in subjecting everything to him, he has left nothing not subject to him. As it is, in this moment, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. What's the author implying? Not yet. But if he says not yet, what's he saying? It's coming. Sit down until I make your enemies. He's not reigning yet. Everything has not been... But we do see Jesus made lower, crowned with glory and honor. So what's coming next? What's coming next? What's the next step in the process? Christ will reign and rule over all these things. You know, some people are getting kind of weird about this election coming up. Some people think this is life and death. America will never be the same if we get the wrong person in office and it's just all going to fall apart. I'm going, it's all going to fall apart anyway. It just depends on which one's the president at the time when it all falls apart. And you know what? I've read the back of the book, and I know it's going to fall apart. So again, it's just a matter of time. And you know what? If the wrong person gets in office and it falls apart, guess what that means? The king is coming back. So is that a problem? You know, I would love for us to have another godly, amazing king that makes America great again. I'm just going to keep going. All right? <laughs> No, no political ad there whatsoever. All right? I would love to have that president that really elevates the United States into this amazing country that just is the beacon of hope, the, the city on the hill, the whole Ronald Reagan speech here. But here's what I know. At the end of the story, there isn't a country that's the city of hope, the city on the hill that's this godly, amazing country. What I know at the end of the story is that someone will be empowered by Satan himself and will rule and reign over the entire earth. <coughs> that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Because at the end of the day, the one who was made a little lower than the angels, 
the one who was crowned, everything will be subjected to him and to his reign and to his rule. Now, let me explain this real quickly from the Old Testament because I want you to see this. Come over here with me to 2 Samuel 7. Because the Jewish people knew this. The Jewish people, they knew what this author was talking about. They knew about this Messiah. They knew about this coming, reigning king who was going to rule and reign over all things. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, say that 15 times real fast. I'll hurt you. All right? I'm going to start reading. I'm going to start reading verse 1. It says, When the king had settled into his palace, talking about David, when the king had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in this cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that's on your heart, for the Lord is with you. Verse 4, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan, go and tell my servant David and say to this to him. This is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to live in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not lived in a house. All right, it's been a tabernacle. I've not lived in a house, all right, something in structure. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys uh, with, the, with all the Israelites, have I ever asked anyone? among the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel? Why haven't you built a house of cedar? So what's God saying? David, I appreciate that, but I've never asked for that. I've never asked for a house. I mean, I'm cool with the tabernacle. Now, this is what you were to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. Verse 10, I will establish a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not afflict them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemy, enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you, David. You want to build a house for me? I'm going to make a house for you. Now, with this idea of a house is this idea of a lineage, okay? So keep that in mind. The Lord himself says, I will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant, singular, notice that, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I hate that. It's more the idea of when he becomes wrong. It's not so much the action as it is this becoming. When he becomes wrong, we say that when Christ became unrighteous for us so that we could be made righteous. So when he becomes wrong, I will discipline him with human rod and with blows from others. But my faithful love will never leave him as I removed it from Saul. I removed him from your way. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan spoke all these words and this entire vision to David. So what is the Messiah often referred to as? He's called the what? The son of David. Because they look back and they say, God promised David. This is the Davidic covenant. God promised, how will make a king for you? He will reign forever and ever. And the author of Hebrews is tapping on this. 
when he subjects everything to this one, to this one who is the son of David. Now, how many sons did David have? He had about six or seven sons, and then he had the little incident with Bathsheba, right? And after that, he had two sons. What's one of their names? Solomon. Tell me about Solomon. Tell me about his reign. What what was it like living under Solomon in Jerusalem? Uh, Wealth? Very wise. Very wise. They say at one point that silver on the ground was like stones. That you wouldn't even bother to pick up silver if you dropped it on the ground because it was so common. Um, it, It doesn't say that Solomon built a boat. He said he built a fleet of ships. He didn't plant a, a plant, a tree, he planted forests. All right, you with me? He didn't plant a vine, he planted vineyards, okay? Just extravagant. Peace, did Solomon ever win a war? Look through the scriptures. Tell me about the wars that Solomon fought. He didn't, why? Because when you're that bad, nobody messes with you. When you're that strong and that powerful, nobody messes with you. So we have this idea of Solomon. So when Jesus comes, what's everybody looking for? They're looking for the Messiah, the son of David, to rule and to reign, to reestablish Solomon's type kingdom. And what did they get? They got a carpenter from some hick town up by the lake. And he died. Why was Peter so confused when Jesus said, I need you to be aware of this. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. What did he just said five minutes earlier? You're the Messiah. You're the son of David. You're Solomon coming back. And we can't wait. John, John and James want what? They want him to sit on one side and one on the other. Of what? Did they want to be on either side of the cross? No, they thought here's his, his kingdom. Here's his throne. He's got the scepter. I'll sit here, you sit here. This would be awesome. We'll be like Solomon's right and left-hand man. Peter's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus goes, oh, by the way, I'm about to be handed over and crucified and killed. And what does Peter say in this moment? <laughs> Jesus, have you not read 2 Samuel 7? You're Solomon. You're going to reign forever. He's the one that built the house. Don't you get it? And Jesus just says, what? Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. You don't understand. I'm not Solomon. I'm the son who died after seven days. You know about this son? Do you know about the unnamed son of David? Remember when Bathsheba and David have their affair? The child is born. David is confronted. And God says, you're not going to die. The child will. What had that child done? What had that seven-day-old son done? Would you say he was an innocent person? But yet he died, and David lived. Does that sound like anybody you know? The innocent who died in place of the guilty? The son of David? who died on the seventh day, because guess what you get on the eighth day? You get a name. He died on the seventh day. So David had two sons. 
One was the innocent lamb who died in place of his father. And one was this king, rich, royal, powerful, wise king. Which one was Jesus? Is he the unnamed son who died in his innocence on behalf of the guilty? Or is he the reigning king who will have no enemies, who has infinite wealth, infinite provision, infinite protection, and we all live at peace with him? Which one is Jesus? He was one. He will be the other. And so the author says, you found him here. You understand him to be this person. If you drift away, you're going to miss this one. You're going to miss the king who is going to reign. You're going to miss the kingdom of Solomon. You're going to miss all this if you step away from this. Please, please don't drift away. Please do not drift away. Paul writes it to the Philippians in this way. He says, Christ emptied himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross, so that at his mention of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we've got to pay even more attention. We've got to go to the disciple and say, tell me the story of Jesus again. Tell me again. It's like kid at bedtime. Read it again. Read it again, daddy. Read it again. We got to be like those people who say, tell me the story of Jesus again. Paul, tell me the story again. Let me read it from here again. Why? Because we've got to pay even more attention. Why? So that we do not drift right by when the concerns and the cares of this life take us away from paying attention, even more attention to the person and the work of Christ. That's what the author is saying. You know why? Because the king is coming Again, the lamb has come. The lion is coming. Let's pray.